So, not sure you've been in this situation, probably been there, where you've been so desperate for help that you would do just about anything. It doesn't matter how much something would cost or what someone would ask you to do, you're absolutely desperate for something to be done, fixed, changed. You'll do whatever it takes. So, this happened to our family a couple years ago. We were at my parents visiting for, I think it was Thanksgiving. And, you know, nice formal gathering, family, you know, everybody's got their clothes, nice, you know, food, all that good stuff, and the toilet blew up. I mean, you know when I say the toilet blew up? It's like, it was bad. It was like having a stream of sewage in the middle of our Thanksgiving celebration. It was really bad. We had to call a plumber, and I, I talked to the plumber, and the plumber was like, it's Thanksgiving. I'm not coming over to your house to unplug your toilet. And I was like, you got to come. He's like, I'll take your kidney if you want it. Uh, here's my kidney. I don't care what I have to give you. You must come and help me. These desperate moments, have you been there? Where usually it's somebody in your family, relationship that's struggling, broken, heartache. Maybe it's health issue. Maybe it's something going through depression and someone in your family is suicidal. It doesn't matter what the professional will do or what they say to do. It might defy logic. If they said to you, listen, if you want your loved one to be healthy, you've got to stand on your head in the middle of Times Square, you would do it. Because you just want someone to be well. You want something to be fixed. It doesn't matter what it costs or what you have to do. I think sometimes when we get so desperate, we approach God and pray like this. We say, God, if you fill in the blank, then I will believe you. I will follow you. When I'm pressed into a corner of being so desperate for him to do something, I'll have this little negotiation with him. I'll say to him, you do this and I'll and that's not what God of the universe wants from us. I mean, we were working through the, the book of John and this Follow Me series, and what God has done for us in Christ is that he says to us, I love you so much, I don't want a transaction with you, I want a relationship. I don't want to give and take, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, you do your religious stuff and I'll do my God stuff. That's not what I want. I want a relationship with you. I love you so much that I send my son to bring you peace. Send my son to bring you hope. I send my son, and all I ask is that you believe. All I want is you to trust and know my heart, that you would believe me, that when I say something, that that would be so true to you that you'd go, I'll do whatever you say. And so as we work through today a story found in John chapter 4, there's a guy that's going to have an interaction with Jesus, and it starts out very transactional. He wants a transaction with Jesus, and it's going to change over this course of interaction to something relational where he actually believes Jesus is the Son of God. So if you have your Bibles, John chapter 4, we're going to look at verse 43 and following. Certainly love for you to follow on along with your device or paper copy if you're watching online. Super glad that you're here. Love technology that it helps us to connect and engage. John chapter 4, verse 43, and, and John's going to start by giving us a little bit of context to get us up to speed to this account that Jesus has 
with this man. John chapter 4, verse 43. After the two days that Jesus had spent in Samaria, right? We remember this. After the two days he spent in Samaria, Jesus left for Galilee. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. So just important context. Jesus is from Galilee. That's his hometown region. He's been out traveling about. He comes back to his home area, his own region, and people know him there. And the people that know us from when we were little kids are oftentimes the ones that don't believe we can change, don't believe that we can do anything great. They kind of pigeonhole us into the way we were when we were elementary school. And so Jesus is known by these people as a carpenter. And now he's been traveling about doing miracles and showing displays of power. And he comes back to his hometown and they're kind of looking at him like, but they've seen certain things he's done. And so it says the Galileans welcome him because they've seen miracles. They've welcomed him as this kind of now hometown hero that's doing these sideshow power displays. They welcome him, but they don't believe that he's the son of God. They welcome him because he's done some pretty cool things. They don't believe he's the son of God. Verse 46, once more he visited Cana, an area in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. Talked about this a number of weeks ago. Jesus turns water into wine. We learn that every miracle that Jesus does is a sign, a sign that points to who he is. That every time he's done a miracle, and when he did the water to wine thing, he was pointing to his character, who he was, that he was much more than a moral teacher, but he was the Messiah, the Son of God. And so John is reminding us, before he even gets into this account, Hey, you saw a miracle happen. It was a signpost to point to who Jesus was. There's a miracle that's about to happen to reveal to us something about the character of Christ to the story. There was a certain royal official whose son lay sick in Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to Jesus and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told them, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. A royal official, a man of provenance and dignity and power, his son is on his deathbed. There's nothing more he can do. He's desperate. He hears that there's a powerful healer in the region. So he comes to Jesus. This royal proper person comes to Jesus and he just begs Jesus. Actually, the language of the text is he begs and begs and begs. He's so desperate and earnest that he doesn't care about his dignity, who he is and what he's supposed to do in the moment. He just wants his son to be healed. And this guy Jesus is known to be able to do some magic hocus pocus stuff, so maybe this guy can help. And Jesus responds and says, unless you people see signs and wonders. You'll never believe. I mean, it kind of seems jerky of Jesus. Is that a word? It's like Jesus is like, dude, what are you coming to me for? What, so I can do some kind of magic for you? Why are you asking me to help? You don't actually want me. 
You just want what I can do for you. You see, this guy is desperate enough to, yeah, just want something. He wants this transaction with Jesus. You do something for me, I'll do something for you. You scratch my back, I'll believe in you. But unless you do something, who are you? What do I care about you? Just help me. Just fix me. But that's not how we follow or believe in Jesus. So this guy keeps begging Jesus, just come. Would you just come to my house? Just come with me and see him. Would you just come and pray for him? Would you just come and be in his presence? Just come, Jesus. And Jesus in verse 50 does what I wouldn't do. He says, go. Now I'd say, go, get out of here. Beat it. I'm not down with you. But Jesus says, go. Your son will live. Wait. I I come to you in a transactionary way, I want something from you. I don't care who you are. I just want something from you, Jesus. And you see that in me. And instead of saying, go, get out of here, leave me alone, you say to me, go, your son will live. It's not the answer I expected. You see, the guy wanted a sideshow, a power display. And Jesus says, your son will live. He doesn't answer the request fully. Notice he doesn't go with him to his house. He doesn't go with him to touch the kid. He doesn't go with him to pray for the kid. He doesn't do any of that. He just says, go, your son will live. Verse 50, the man took Jesus at his word and departed. On one level, what choice did he have? He's desperate. He'll try anything. Jesus says, go, your son will live, and he, and he goes. He takes Jesus at his word, and he returns to his house to check out his son, to see what's going to happen, what's going to take place. Verse 51, while he was still on the way, his servants met him. So he's walking back home, and his servants, he sees them coming up the road. What do you, what do you think he's thinking when the servants are on the way? He's like you and me. He's going, oh, he's he's dead. His servants meet him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized This was the exact time in which Jesus had said to him, your son would live. This guy goes to the local healer for help. Hey, help me, do something, fix something. The healer says, your son will live. And he takes Jesus at his word and he goes back. And what he finds is, son's alive. Now, he could chalk it up to coincidence, but he traces the evidence from his family and friends that in that precise moment that the healer said, He'll live is the moment that his son got better. And I can imagine he's going, what is this? Who is this? How could this happen? On Thanksgiving when your toilet blows up and you call the plumber and the plumber says, hey, I actually don't need to come to your house. I just, yeah, it's fixed right now. (laughs) Like, it's unstopped right now. Like, no way. That doesn't happen, right? That would be an incredible plumber. He'd be making it, right? If he could do that. So, so when this happens and you're so desperate and this guy 
says your son will live, and you find out that he didn't have to hocus-pocus over him. He didn't have to pray. He didn't have to touch. He didn't even physically have to be present for his son to be healed. All Jesus had to do, no fanfare, no power display, just say your son will live. Don't miss verse 53. So this royal official, so he and his whole household believed. He and his whole household believed. I mean, if the plumber could unclog my toilet over the phone, I'd believe something, right? He and his whole household believed. Now, when John writes they believed, he doesn't mean they believed in God. Well, now suddenly I believe in God. That's not what he means. He doesn't mean, oh, now they believe in a superhero that can fix their problems. That's not what he means. When John says he and his whole household believe, what he's saying is he and his whole household in that moment when they connected all those dots realized that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Their eyes were opened because how could this happen unless you are who you say you are, the God of the universe who makes a way for people to find hope. So when they believed, it's you are the son of the living God sent not to condemn us, but to save us. And whatever you say, Jesus, is worth believing, trusting. This is so encouraging to me to look at this account. Because I think what I see in it is I see myself and I see us. We're, we're constantly looking at God as this transaction. God, if you do this, then I will believe. If you prove this, if you display that, if you show me something, then I will believe in you. That's what this guy wanted. He wanted something to prove. He didn't want Jesus to just say, your son is well. He wanted him to come with him. But Jesus doesn't do relationships based on transactions. And he doesn't follow our whims and our commands or demands. The relationship with Jesus is about, I will take you at your word. That what you say is true. And I will believe you. And that's really hard, isn't it? I mean, isn't that really difficult to take God at his word? I mean, this is what the Bible defines faith. The Bible says faith is confidence in what you hope for and certainty, assurance about what we do not see. I mean, that's really hard because for us as Americans, modern people, science, logic, intellect, seeing is believing, right? When I see something, then I will believe it. But believing before I see? Mm, and yet, that's what the God of the universe wants. He wants us to believe without seeing. Oh, we see a lot. He wants us to notice the fact that he made the mountains and he created humans and he made animals, that this is not an accident. There's no way the design of all that's around us is haphazard. It's meticulous and beautiful and crazy diverse and wonderful. And he's saying, look at all I've done. Do you not see before I even speak a word? Do you not see? that I'm here and that I care. He wants a relationship based on faith, not based on seeing. In Romans chapter 10, I put this in your app, we can learn an important aspect of where this starts. Romans 10, Paul says in verse 17, faith, 
comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. Paul's saying that the beginning of faith, where this all starts, is that faith starts by hearing. Hearing the words of Christ. Hearing these truths. Understanding, comprehending, digesting truth about Jesus. And that's the start of faith. And following Him. Following Jesus requires that I hear. How could I follow someone I can't hear? But if you want to move from transaction and religion to a relationship, it's about what do you hear? You know, are you positioning yourself to hear? I mean, we're all hearing right now. We can hear and comprehend. But are you really hearing and understanding? The Bible warns us that there are plenty of us that hear but don't hear, see but don't see. Are you hearing? Because the messages in our world today are pretty simple. You're meaningless. You're an accident. You're not strong enough, not rich enough, not fast enough, not healthy enough, not popular enough, not beautiful enough. And that's the message that we're bombarded with all the time. And the God of the universe says that's not true. I made you. I designed you. I love you. I have a purpose for you. But if all you're hearing is the noise out there, are you putting yourself, if you want a relationship with the living God, are you putting yourself in proximity to the word of Christ, the truth of the Bible. Do you ever open up your Bible or turn it on? Because you can, and you can hear. If you you get involved in a small group or join our men or a women's Bible study, some place where you're hearing truth, because that's where faith begins. When you hear truth that starts to resonate with your heart, you can follow when you hear. But if you're not actively listening and working on, I want to hear from God, then you'll feel disconnected and alone. But then faith begins to grow when I act upon the words of Christ. You see, this guy wanted, this guy wanted something specific from Jesus. Jesus doesn't answer to the whims of this guy. Instead, he had a choice to ignore what Jesus said. Jesus said, go, your son as well. He could ignore it or he could believe it. And the man took him at his word. And that, when he took Jesus at his word, that's when his eyes were open to who Jesus really is. See, we want see first, believe second. And he's saying, wait, if you believe there is a God and that he wants to communicate with you and loves you and cares about you, as you start to walk that out and try to understand that, that's when you're going to start seeing. That's when you're going to understand that there's more to this life than just what's obvious to you, that their God is wanting to communicate you, with you and wants a relationship with you, it's acting upon what you know, not just accumulating more information about Jesus. You know, there's a lot of information we hear about God, truths from the Bible, promises the Bible makes, commands the Bible makes. We could hear these things but not hear them. We could hear these things and ignore them. Or we can hear these things, accept them, and start living and applying. So when the Bible says something about your attitude or your lifestyle or your choices, did you hear it or did you not hear it? Did you ignore it? Do you start putting it in a place? What he talks about your money, talks about your life, your decisions, your sexuality. 
He talks about all aspects of your life. When you apply what you hear, that's when your faith begins to grow. But I think some of us go through seasons where our faith is dying because there's truths that we know, but we don't like the truths we hear, and so we just ignore them, and we wonder why we feel disconnected from God, feel alone and afraid. Do you hear certain truths, and are you applying them? Because more information isn't the goal. Acting on what you know is. You know, for me personally, I may look like a very confident person, but I'm, I'm actually very anxious and insecure as a person. And my greatest, over the last three years, my greatest anxiety has been, this is dead honest, that I'm just going to have a heart attack and die. And I'm so afraid of having a heart attack and dying and leaving my kids and my wife without a husband that there are times that's landed me in the ER in the last three years because I've been so worked up over being afraid of having a heart attack that I basically gave myself one. And what do you do with that? Wait, you're a preacher. You're supposed to believe. You're supposed to trust. You're supposed to follow. When I struggle with anxiety, I have a choice. For me, I've been to the doctor and I have good blood work and I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to do health-wise, but I still get overcome by fear and anxiety. I have a choice to, to, to actually believe that God loves me enough, cares for me enough, and He holds the keys of life and death, not me. I actually have to believe the text that says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? As if you can control these things, Joe? And as I start to exercise that truth and pray to God and say, God, help me. I believe you know me. You care more about my sons than I do. I trust you. I believe what my doctor says about me. I believe what my wife says about my health. I believe what your word says about me, not what I feel. Because my feelings distract me and make me anxious and derail me. But I have a choice to believe you or to be dictated fear governed by fear. And for me, that's a lot of work. And the times times that I've said I trust you, God, has exercised my faith and I've known seasons where I, I don't worry about a heart attack anymore. But then when I start believing my feelings again and I stop looking at Jesus and I stop engaging with his words and his truth and I stop going to the doctor and I stop working out, well, where do you think my anxiety is going to go? It's not that simple. I know I'm trying to take something that's big and make it applicable to you, but here's the deal. When God says truths about who you are, do you believe it or don't you? I believe he puts small miracles in our lives each and every day to show us that he loves us and cares. And I have a choice, you have a choice, to see this world as coincidence or haphazard or to see the design of a creator who loves you, who wants a relationship with you, not a transaction with you who wants to walk with you and for you to walk with him, who wants you to know his heart, that he is for you, not against you. And he has great things in store for you and you can trust him. That's what it means to walk by faith, to say, I'm not gonna try to have an interaction transaction with you, 
I'm going to trust that you're real. I believe you. And as I believe, I'm going to see more of you. You're going to show me more of you, which is just going to grow my faith, grow my love, grow my kindness to other people. This is the life of a follower of Jesus. Let's pray together. Incredible, God, that you would care enough to not just wipe us off the face of the earth for being rebels, for seeking a transaction with you, trying to get something from you instead of wanting you, our maker, our creator, our sustainer. God, awaken your sons and daughters in this place. Awaken us that our relationship with you is based on faith, not sight. That as we trust your heart, trust your truth, trust your ways, we will see more of your goodness, more of your kindness, more of your truth. In this place today, there are people that don't know you and have yet to start a relationship with you. I pray that you would show yourself kind and patient, gracious and loving. Thank you that you don't answer to our commands or our whims, but that you are loving enough to give us what we need, not what we want, and that even when we're stubborn little brats, you don't throw us away, but you're kind. We pray all of this in the victorious name of Jesus. Amen. The ushers are going to come in just a moment and distribute the communion elements. You know communion, the bread and the cup, this little thing we do, this is all an act of faith, right? We're saying that we believe that Jesus really lived and really died and really rose again. That when you hold a little piece of bread and a little cup in your hand, that you believe that Jesus' one life and one death and one resurrection can be applied to your life by faith, not by sight. If you don't believe that, then this is all a joke. This is a crazy group of people drinking a little cup of juice, and we're just doing religion, transaction, hoping God likes this. But when you have eyes of faith to see, this represents he really loves you, really died for you, really rose again so that you could live. That's what this is about. So the ushers are going to come and distribute the elements, and the band is going to play a song. I'd ask that you'd stay seated during the song that they play. It's really a prayer, and hold the elements, and we'll take them together in just a moment. God, please use this moment in time here in 2018 to grow our faith. I ask this through Christ our Lord.